All right, more breaking news coming into sports and what's already been a very active day. We go back to the NFL for this one. The Miami Dolphins will lose a first-round draft pick in 2023 after the NFL announced discipline following investigations into tampering and tanking allegations. The NFL found that the Dolphins violated the anti-tampering policy in discussions with Tom Brady on two occasions and also impermissible communications with the agents for then Saints head coach Sean Payton. Roughly 24 hours after Deshaun Watson's suspension was announced, the NFL decided to release the results of another explosive investigation. This one involving the greatest quarterback of all time, and the Miami Dolphins, and their billionaire owner Stephen Ross, and their former head coach Brian Flores, the man who is suing the Dolphins and two other teams, and also the NFL itself. There's also tampering and alleged tanking and lost draft picks and a future Hall of Fame coach. And as we will ultimately explain, Deshaun Watson himself. So today, South Florida's own Jeff Darlington breaks down a story he has been following longer than anyone else we know. The story of how Tom Brady almost became a dolphin and so much more. I'm Pablo Torre. It is Wednesday, August 3rd. This is ESPN Daily. Jeff Darlington, I don't know if you were expecting a second straight day of long-awaited bombshell NFL rulings, (laughs) but I was not. So thank you for joining us to help us explain and understand this one. I'm never not expecting bombshell news on any given NFL day. Yeah, that's just veteran savvy by you, Jeff, at this point. But this development in specific, it kind of feels like an NFL news mad lib, right? Because I know that the Dolphins are being stripped of a first round pick in next year's draft and a third round pick the year after that. And I know that Steven Ross, the owner of the team, has now been suspended personally until October 17th, 2022. On top of all of that, Ross has also been fined $1.5 million. All of this for violations relating to the integrity of the game. But Just remind us here at the very top why this investigation even began in the first place, Jeff. What was it looking into? That's a great point to remind us where this all began. (laughs) And it began ultimately on the very day that Tom Brady retired. It began several hours after he announced his retirement, three days after we reported it. And it began when Brian Flores filed a lawsuit that alleged Stephen Ross was not only tanking games, but also alleged that he was offering Brian Flores $100,000 per game to lose intentionally. Mm. Uh, As well in that lawsuit, also alleging that uh, he had, uh, I guess we would call them improper conversations uh, with a member of another organization. That member, not ultimately at that moment named that member, was Tom Brady. So on the very day Tom Brady retired, this all began. Right. So it was February 1st of this year when Tom Brady retires, confirming your reporting from earlier with Adam Schefter. And that same day, we see the massive racial discrimination lawsuit filed by Brian Flores, which you just mentioned, which sparks this entire six month NFL investigation we're talking about today, which was led by Mary Jo White, this former U.S. attorney and chair of the Securities and Exchange Commission. And she was focusing on two sets of allegations, right? The first Mm -hmm. being that Stephen Ross offered Flores money to 
overthrow games. The second that the Dolphins were tampering with another team's quarterback, and Flores had actually claimed that Ross had invited him to a lunch meeting on a yacht with an unnamed celebrity quarterback. And so how much of a surprise was it, Jeff, to see confirmation on Tuesday on NFL letterhead that Brady was, in fact, their target all along? It was not a surprise. I knew at this point that it was Tom Brady. And honestly, the Dolphins and Tom Brady have had a complicated relationship for several years now. And none of it having to do with the fact that he was uh, on the other sideline when he played for the New England Patriots. This is a a situation where Tom Brady has um, ties to Miami, uh, relationships in Miami, relationships in New York, including one Bruce Beal, who's mentioned throughout this investigation. His relationship with Bruce Beal is ultimately why we now find ourselves talking about this, because it was Beal ultimately who was having conversations with Tom Brady that were then relayed back to Steve Ross about potentially playing for the Dolphins and also potentially serving as a a limited partner with the Dolphins. So these tampering charges, that is the that is the crime that the Dolphins here have been found to have committed. Jeff, explain who Bruce Beal is in the context of tampering here. Well, Bruce Beal is ultimately Tom Brady's friend, someone that has known Tom for a very long time. They share a condo building, essentially, in Manhattan. They've known each other uh, extensively. Mm. Uh, Bruce Beal is also a 5% minority owner with the Miami Dolphins. He can buy the team from Stephen Ross when he ultimately decides to sell or dies. So Beal is a very, very key fixture. And I'm not sure that people in Miami have ever even really heard Bruce Beal's name mentioned very often in connection with either Tom Brady or the Miami Dolphins. But he is a key figure in all of this. And so what did Bruce Beal and Stephen Ross and the Dolphins, what did they want to do with Tom Brady? What did they want to do with him, by the way, for the record here, while he was still a member, yes, at the time of the New England Patriots? Bruce Beal has long wanted Tom Brady to play for the Miami Dolphins to play for his team, the team that he has minority ownership in. But that that being said, I mean, I, I think it's, I'm not trying to make it out to be, if we're doing character development here, that Bruce Beal is some sort of villain by any means. Mm. It's a friendship. And I think the complicated component here is that when you have a friendship between a person who is a minority owner of a NFL team, And a person who is the greatest quarterback of all time playing for, (laughs) by the way, a rival of the team that that friend owners. Yes, in the division. Yes. It becomes complicated because your conversations of, hey, wouldn't it be cool if you were playing for me is suddenly tampering. (laughs) I'm not trying to limit it, limit the seriousness of it. No. Because at some point it crossed a line. And the problem is that line might be blurry, but very clearly in this situation, it crossed it. Not to segue too hard here, but we're talking about the Brian Flores lawsuit and somehow some of the largest revelations that came out of it have literally nothing to do with the racial discriminations Correct. that Flores is alleging. Correct. And maybe uh, maybe they do from the standpoint that Flores in his lawsuit alleges that he was basically being bullied by what he felt was a white owner telling a blackhead coach what to do. Sure, but this is, but to your point, this is mostly almost a footnote in a larger, far more grave and serious set of allegations. That's right. I've seen nowhere today uh, the mention of alleged racial discrimination 
as connected to this investigation. Yes, and that part is, for the record also, winding its way through the court system right now. Correct. But as for the salacious fun stuff, Jeff, the part where it does feel like we're in we're in an episode of succession of sorts, like it does. And it is. And it is important to note, by the way, that the investigation found that the Dolphins had made impermissible contact, a.k.a. they had tampered with Tom Brady on two occasions in 2019 when he was on the Patriots, as we discussed. And then apparently they tampered again in 2021 when Brady was on the Bucks. So how would the Dolphins whole plan here have actually worked? Well, which one? (laughs) (laughs) Touche. The one where Tom Brady becomes a part of the organization in all sorts of ways, apparently. That's the most complicated part of this because it goes back to how serious of a conversation was this? Absolutely. The idea of Tom Brady being a minority owner and having a role with the team, very serious, very serious. In fact, I would say it was all but inevitable. The idea of him playing for the organization, if in fact that was a serious consideration, they had not taken seriously all of the hurdles that they were going to have to jump. Mm. Not the least of which was the fact that he was in a contract with the Tampa Bay Bucks, a team that certainly would not take kindly to the idea that Tom Brady was going to leave them while still under contract for another team in the state. But more complicated than that, I had reached out to the NFL at one point and talked to them about the idea of a minority owner playing for a team. The NFL dug into it a little bit and found that, in fact, it would require for a player to own part of a team and also play for said team that the 31 other owners would have to vote to agree to let that happen. (laughs) So let me spell this out for you, Pablo. Picture an owner's meeting. Tom Brady has just retired from the NFL, wiggled himself out of his contract with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, owns a piece of the Dolphins, and has decided, you know what, I'm going to play for him. Now we go to the owners' meetings. Robert Kraft, the Glazer family. Yep. Owner of the Bucks. By the way, who have just been burned. Uh, Woody Johnson, who will have to face Tom Brady twice a year once again. Yep. Owner of the Jets. Are all basically now controlling whether Tom Brady can play for the Miami Dolphins. Oh my God. I'm mad. I'm mad that we didn't get this in real life, honestly, at this point. And it was not that far off. And that's the thing that I think living in this weird reality for the past six months, sometimes as sports reporters, as you very well know, Pablo, we find ourselves so immersed in something that we forget to realize how surreal it actually is. And I think this is absolutely one of those instances where The reality, as crazy as it sounds, was pretty close to manifesting. Man, so the plan, just so I can really get all these ducks in a row here, the plan was Tom Brady severs ties with Tampa, becomes a part owner of the Dolphins, and then eventually onto the field as a quarterback, pending the vote of the other owners in the league. Well, I want to be careful here because I want to back up to one thing. That was not necessarily the plan, but it was the possibility. The plan itself would have just been as simple as Tom Brady retires and becomes a minority owner of the Miami Dolphins. What happens from there? Eh, Maybe he plays. Maybe we uh, get himself out of the contract. My point there is that Mm. some of the plan had been already set into motion. 
The entirety of the plan remained to be seen. It was one of those things where we'll get to that when we get to it. And so just so I understand this, and because you were the person who broke the news of Brady's retirement in February, does his retirement, which at the time was shocking to many people from the Bucks, knowing what you know now today, does that all sort of make more sense to you in retrospect, Jeff? Tom Brady's retirement has always made sense to me, even when there was a um, cloud of uncertainty placed over our reporting for those three days. Like I, I was never even close to wavering. I knew right. everything you, that was happening. Yes, you it guys was never, were doubted and you were proven 100% correct. Yeah. And it was never, and I'm not even talking about it from like a vindication standpoint. It was just a supreme confidence, 100% certainty. And I say that because, you know, there's so many components that go into it. And it wasn't like one thing that led to Tom Brady to decide to retire. But the idea of having something that would have come after it certainly is something that every single player is always looking for. In this case, he saw the bridge between some frustrations during the season, whether it be some, you know, his body starting to feel a little bit of pain to finding a bridge that kept him in the NFL. I mean, you can't tell me that that's not appealing to any potential NFL player as they try to cross that bridge from active player to retired one. And so speaking of the decision to stay in the league or go, the question of how do you get what you want out of the sport? I mean, we should say the name of Sean Payton here, right? The head coach Mm -hmm. of the Saints, former head coach of the Saints, who also, Jeff, speaking of timing here, just happened to resign also shockingly from his job in New Orleans just a couple weeks, I believe, before Tom Brady retired. Sean was going to be done, though, anyway, by the way. Okay, so explain how he fits into the story and just how we should understand that part of this, because that is another huge name that has been thrown into this. Well, first, I'd have to take you back a couple years, Pablo. (laughs) (laughs) I had a feeling that you would. I'd have to take you back to a time when Tom Brady was uh, had decided that he was leaving the New England Patriots and the Tampa Bay Bucks were absolutely at the top of his list. But so, too, was another team, and that was the New Orleans Saints, coached by Sean Payton. I don't think that people give it credit enough how close Tom Brady was to playing with Sean Payton in New Orleans. Mm. Had Drew Brees ended up as the Monday night football analyst at our network, Tom Brady would have ended up with the Saints. Man. Instead, Drew Brees decides to return. During, by the way, what was an offseason of a lot of questions with Drew Brees and whether he was ultimately. He at one point walked into Sean Payton's office and said, I'm done. I'm retired. (laughs) So. It it was so close to Tom Brady ending up with the Saints and Sean Payton. Their relationship was established. And I guess this is the one, uh, the one little puzzle that the piece that needs kind of placing is when the conversation first came to light where Tom Brady realized he could potentially go to the Dolphins and Sean Payton could potentially be the coach. Mm. Uh, That would certainly be one hell of a three-way call. (laughs) but one that I can't say exactly um, all the parties involved. Right. So we know that Sean Payton and Tom Brady have the same agent, Don Yee. Reportedly here, per this report, we also know that the Dolphins had reached out to Payton in January 2022 without asking for permission. Then he retires a month later. The Dolphins ask for permission. New Orleans says no. All of this simply adds up, Jeff, here as something that we have never seen before, right? I mean, it's funny that, like, Sean Payton retires, a movie comes out about a crazy part of his life in which he's an assistant coach in his son's youth football team during Bounty Gate. But now here we have 
a a a de facto movie that is stranger than fiction in some ways. Yeah, and and just because you know. There is no question that this is a fascinating one, given the parties involved, given just the drama of it all. You know, I, I don't want to pour water on the drama, but the Dolphins reaching out to Sean Payton after it was clear that he was done with the Saints doesn't feel that egregious to me. Mm. Uh, the idea of putting it all together, the idea of manifesting this, or at least in your mind, creating this possibility of Sean Payton, Tom Brady, uh, finding their ways out of their respective contracts to join forces in Miami, that is unbelievable. So, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and yet here we are talking about it. <laughs> yeah. And so, what did Roger Goodell have to say about this confluence of events and really the punishments in totality that have been doled out because of said events? It certainly feels like the punishment was ultimately the result of the tampering, which um, in the investigation, I believe, was basically cited as the (laughs) most egregious set of tampering circumstances in like the history of the NFL. Yes, just just of all time. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So I take back what I said about not being, you know, dramatic with Sean Payton. It's very dramatic. (laughs) But yeah, Uh, you're you're a grizzled news veteran, Jeff. You've been swimming in this gossip for months now. Fair. So. So um, it was. It's very clear, though, that the punishment was the result of the tampering far more than it was the result of the tanking. Yeah, and on that note, Jeff, sit tight because after the break, we got to talk about the tanking allegations and exactly what we're supposed to make of the exoneration therein. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11th ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. So, Jeff, the other part of this story, the other focus of the investigation is tanking. And this is something that is in many ways even more explosive than everything you've outlined for us already. So remind us here, Jeff, about what Brian Flores had alleged in terms of what Stephen Ross had offered him and what the league ultimately concluded about all of that. Right, Pablo. If the other part was salacious, this would be significant. And this is really the crux of where this lawsuit really began, with the idea that Stephen Ross offered to pay Brian Flores $100,000 per game to lose intentionally. Ultimately, the investigation did not find evidence of that. In fact, they basically found what they felt like was the opposite, that Stephen Ross might have suggested it, but that it was very clear that it was a joke. Obviously, I think a lot of us kind of roll our eyes a little bit at that. It's like Mm -hmm. sending someone an insulting text and putting JK at the end. It doesn't (laughs) mean that we can't look past the insult. Yeah, putting JK maybe weeks or months later, just like FYI, JK. JK. Ultimately, though, where Stephen Ross was at fault was that he did make clear to many members of the organization that he prioritized in that season 
draft status over wins and losses. The one thing I would say there is that I, I'd probably, if I'm going to put some subjectivity into this, I'd probably say there's a lot of owners out there, a lot of fans and owners and fans that would love to see themselves get the first overall pick as opposed to an 8-8 eight and eight record. Of course. Jeff, on this level, there is a little bit of like, a, we're, are we really going to fall onto our fainting couches? That's is there right. really gambling in this establishment? Like, yes, teams value the draft over the present tense very often in all professional sports that have a draft. And I think that if you're inclined to feel like Steve Ross is not a great owner, you're going to read this investigation and say, see, what a jerk. He was tanking. And it's kind of like, well, he was never actually, and I think this is ultimately what the investigation was alluding to. He never actually impacted the ability to tank. Mm. It's one thing to say you covet draft status. It's another to actually have an impact on that say, as the head coach or the, or the general manager cutting a player that would help the team ultimately get wins. Right. Brian Flores, for instance, in the case of trying to get Joe Burrow, he would not just put Josh Rosen in the game, which would ultimately have caused them to lose against the Cincinnati Bengals. <laughs> right. This is a note in the actual report where Mary Jo White puts in, yeah, the Dolphins competed hard to win every game, including at the end of the season, when they beat Cincinnati and New England because, in part, Ryan Fitzpatrick, old Ryan Fitzpatrick, Jeff Darlington, was the quarterback. <laughs> That's right. The winner. And I mean, but that's significant. It is. It, it's significant because ultimately the team was not tanking. And just because Stephen Ross, whether you disagree or agree with him, had suggested to people he wouldn't mind it. It's not the same thing as paying someone $100,000. I understand that there will be opinions on both sides of it, but it is important to point out that an owner in some ways, I guess there are indirect ways they could impact it, but indirect ways cannot ultimately impact it. But this is this is kind of the detective story at the heart of the tanking allegation that is so hard, right? Because what Stephen Ross really did, Jeff, as someone who's reported on teams tanking, he broke the first rule of tank club, mm -hmm. which is you don't talk about tank club. That's exactly right. And Brian Flores happened to be the worst person to break that rule with. Yeah, no, no question. I mean, Brian Flores is, by the way, a key character in all of this, obviously, not just simply because he's the guy who filed the lawsuit. If we're like, again, going through the character development situation, this is a guy who is as tough and blue collar and his background is such that you do not mess with him. You do not step to him. He came up through the New England way. He's from Brooklyn. He is everything that you don't want to deal with if you're looking to try to push somebody over. Yeah. And as such, I mean, look, he was a difficult guy for a lot of people to get along with this past year. Mm. As much as he filed this lawsuit, you know, alleging racial discrimination. There's a lot of people in the organization who breathed some sighs of relief when he was gone, not the least of which, by the way, was Tua Tungavailoa. Mm -hmm. So Brian Flores was not an easy guy to work with. And that's exactly why Stephen Ross ultimately crossed the wrong dude. Man, it also feels, it's important to point out here too, Jeff, that this allegation, right, that you are going to throw games by proxy or by degrees, it just feels like that is the one allegation also to be very fair to both Flores and the cynics out there, that the NFL does not want to ever will into existence if it has the ability to avoid it, right? Because it speaks to whether the games themselves can be trusted and all sorts of money, including now literal gambling, literal sports bets, that that's all right on their outcomes. 
There is also a reason why the NFL came down so hard on Calvin Ridley. And I know that there is a level of, of questioning when it comes to the hypocrisy of treatment of owners in this case and players. Of course. But you're right. You're absolutely right. The NFL is going to do first and foremost everything possible to protect the integrity of the game. And I'm not suggesting that there is a cover up here by any means, but it is at least interesting to those cynics out there who recognized that the one thing that seems like it absolutely did not happen was Steve Ross paying for losses to have occurred. Yeah, and so Stephen Ross also provides this statement after this comes out where he responds to the allegations that have now been investigated and publicized. And he says this, quote, The independent investigation cleared our organization on any issues related to tanking and all of Brian Flores' other allegations. As I've said all along, these allegations were false, malicious, and defamatory, and this issue is now put to rest. With regards to tampering, I strongly disagree with the conclusions and the punishment. However, I will accept the outcome because the most important thing is that there be no distractions for our team as we begin an exciting and winning season. I will not allow anything to get in the way of that, end quote. So, Jeff, when you hear that, when you read that, what did you make of the claim on all of its levels? The one moment where I had pause, and I think it's a very significant pause, is the idea that he was exonerated from all allegations that Brian Flores made in his lawsuit. You can say that absolutely he he was exonerated from the idea that the $100,000 per game, which by the way is massive. If that had come out that that was in fact true and there was proof of it, yep. that is the type of thing that strips someone of, of ownership of a team. Yes. That's significant. It's monstrous. And Stephen Ross should rightfully say very clearly that I am exonerated in that regard. The problem with it is, is when you put that, oh, that addition and all other allegations from Brian Flores, it's like, no, don't do that. Because you cannot look at Brian Flores' lawsuit, which includes all of the things that we've already outlined when it comes to tampering and Tom Brady, that very clearly are indicated as true through this investigation. You can't say that in your statement and then juxtapose it with what is the reality of the investigation. It makes you start to question the rest of the statement, which is rule number one of any statement. You tell one lie, everybody questions the rest of it. So again, it's complicated. I understand why Stephen Ross would feel somewhat vindicated. At the same time, I think this is the type of thing where the Dolphins should try their best to make this all go away as fast as possible. Yeah, and meanwhile, Brian Flores has released his own statement, of course, and this read as follows, quote, I am thankful that the NFL's investigator found my factual allegations against Stephen Ross are true. At the same time, I am disappointed to learn that the investigator minimized Mr. Ross's offers and pressure to tank games, especially when I wrote and submitted a letter at the time to Dolphins executives documenting my serious concerns regarding the subject at the time, which the investigator has in her possession. All of this... With the backdrop of active litigation still winding its way through the court system again. That's right. What does this all sound like to you? Where does this go from here? Uh, there's a lot of legalese, obviously, because it sounds like two people read the same investigation and got completely different things out of it. I mean, mm -hmm. it's like after a boxing match when both guys act like they won. Yeah, everyone's I, I, raising their hands in triumph right now. That's right. And ultimately, I'm very curious to see what the next step is, because as we know, an independent investigation put forth by the NFL doesn't exactly necessarily come with the same type of transparency as litigation in, in court. Where this goes next is a fascinating wonder. 
one that we will all be paying close attention to. And ultimately, I think mostly what I want to know is if Brian Flores has any proof, any evidence about his allegation when it comes to the $100,000 payment. Mm. Because to me, that is still the overriding allegation, far and away most important part of this entire thing. Jeff, one more quick break. And when we return, I need you to help Dolphins fans. Let's not forget about them. <laughs> we got to help them figure out how they should be feeling about everything that we just discussed. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home some huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. So, Jeff, I'm reminded that Dolphins fans by nature and by reputation are already pretty conspiratorial. <laughs> Go find our episode on Tuanon to find out more about that if you'd like. But how would you be feeling right now, Jeff, if you're a Dolphins fan and you saw in writing the alternate timelines, the failed attempts to make your life significantly different? Well, I'll tell you what, man. First of all, I've been down here in South Florida since 2005. I covered the team as a beat reporter for the Miami Herald. So I've seen the frustration that these Dolphins fans have endured. Mm -hmm. The complicated part of this, and I don't mean to open up a whole nother wormhole here for you. <laughs> Do it, man. But in another very strange dose of revisionist history, what if Brian Flores got the quarterback that he wanted last year? And I will tell you 100% that Brian Flores wanted Deshaun Watson. Mm. We wouldn't be talking today about the Dolphins' owner being suspended. We would be talking about the Dolphins' quarterback being suspended. Man, my brain is sorry. My brain is just breaking at the idea of yesterday and today now fusing into one giant news story. I am saying that not to try to drive a stake through the hearts, <laughs> the beaten hearts of Dolphins fans. Yeah, but instead to point out that look, you're going to be dealing with something one way or the other here. Mm. So the best thing you can possibly do is try to look toward a future that includes perhaps the most electric offense that this team has had in years. I was out at practice the other day, and I can tell you that it was the most electric environment that I have seen out of a Dolphins team literally since 2005. Mm. Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, 
Raheem Mostert, Mike McDaniel. This is a group of people that will make this fun. And I don't think that fun is something the Dolphins have associated with their organization in a very long time, certainly not today. And so the penalties here in terms of draft capital, Jeff, again, significant, right? Like, <laughs> where, you're already laughing, which makes me laugh. But what, what, what do you make of how the Dolphins' future draft forecast looks as a result of what just got levied here? It's such a crazy thing because, once again, there's going to be a revisionist history at some point when we look back, just as we do with Tua and Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert or whatever, because now we are going to look forward to a team that had two first-round picks, and I have said all year on television that if Tua doesn't work out, the Dolphins at least have a plug-and-play scenario with two first-round picks to insert a quarterback onto a really good team. Mm. Suddenly... That draft capital doesn't look as appealing because it is the 49ers, by the way, who hold the other pick that the Dolphins now have. Right, because of the Trey Lance trade where the Dolphins got the 49ers pick in this coming draft. And so the Dolphins draft position now depends on how the ostensibly very good 49ers are going to do this season. That's right. So Dolphins lose their pick. And if Tua doesn't work out, the Dolphins' future at the position is in the hands of of the 49ers. Man. It's fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. And so if you're a Dolphins fan, Jeff, what you're saying to them is stop dreaming of a world where Tom Brady is your quarterback. Mm-hmm. Be grateful for the present tense, even as that present tense seems to be crumbling underneath you. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, the present tense is still... There's reason for optimism. Mike McDaniel, the quirky guy who got the first job that he ever interviewed for as a head coach, could wind up being the one to pull all of this out and make this team something to be celebrated. Mm. Yeah, no no pressure or anything. Jeff Darlington, we look forward to catching up with you as we figure out what the hell happens next in this story. Pablo, thank you. I'm Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily. I'll talk to you tomorrow.